Welcome to Bible Study with the BWE Ministerial Team. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. Sit back and listen and learn and be blessed. Thank you for joining us. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to your Black Women Empowered Monday Night Bible Study. This is Dr. Danette Verche, and I am truly honored and glad to be here on this evening. I want to give a shout-out to our founder and CEO, Jacqueline Renee King, and to our overseer, uh, Dr. Dowdell Underwood, and to the host of ministerial staff members, Uh, that we do have here. I give God the glory and honor on this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you, and we thank you for yet another opportunity for just allowing us to assemble in this arena, on this platform, to reach the masses on this evening. But, Father God, I ask that you cover this lesson and that you lead and guide through the leading of the Holy Spirit and that I decrease and that the spirit of the living God increase in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, again, this is Bible study, and it is our our goal to make sure that you are informed. It is our goal to make sure that we are literally delivering uh, the information that God is giving us scripturally, uh, precepts, upon precept, line upon line. And so we are educating uh, our listeners on that which God has given us to expound upon in Bible study. Now, some of you may not be in Bible study and or Sunday school on a regular basis, and this is going to, and this is the platform, actually, to where you get your weekly lessons from. And so on this evening, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges. Judges chapter 6, and some of you might be familiar with the story of Gideon and who Gideon is, Uh, but Gideon, he was an unlikely hero. Uh, We understand that God often calls the unlikely to do the the unexpected at times, and and as we begin to understand why Gideon, he yielded to God's call, because God was able to use him, but he didn't know that at that time. Uh, Gideon, he began to deliver. He delivers Israel from the Midianites, uh, the oppression that had taken place in 1160 B.C. The Word of God says in Judges 6 and 12 that the angel of the Lord said unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, understand that if we go back up to 11, it gives us an understanding of that Gideon was a military and a spiritual leader who, who had delivered Israel uh, from seven years of oppression by the Midianites. And then the angel of the Lord had appeared to him, and with the strong words of the encouragement that Gideon needed. Now, Gideon had destroyed, Gideon destroyed his father's altar to Baal and and erected 
uh, in altar to the Lord. And then at the command of God, he had reduced his army from 32,000 to 300 to face the 135,000 Midianites. And so here the Midianites, they begin to outnumber Gideon. And he had a, had a Gideon's band of about 450 uh, to one. And now, but nevertheless, understand that God gave, God now gave the victory to Gideon and his dedicated men, to him and his dedicated men. And after that victory, Gideon was invited to become king, and then he declined. And then after Gideon had retired, this is where he retired to his own home. And now Israel was blessed with the 40 years of peace. And now Gideon is now included in Hebrews 11 and 32 for his what? His faithful deeds. And so now we want to bring it back to where we, we really understand all of that as we break it down. It, we, we see that God often calls somebody who is unlikely, uh, the one who is totally unexpected that anybody would even think uh, God would even choose to call. But God calls and then he equips. And understand that our willingness, our willingness to serve is much more important to God than our qualifications. Uh, our, our, our willingness to serve, do you understand, those of you that have ever felt that God couldn't use you or that you've done something so bad that you couldn't be used by God, that you could not be restored to him, that he would never forgive you. But more than that, that you haven't forgiven yourself, but God still forgives. And we're reminded of that, of what the people of Jerusalem had said about Jesus' apostles, that when they saw when they saw the courage of Peter and John and then realized that they were uh, that they were unschooled that they were ordinary men that they were they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus in Acts 4 and 13 and so the apostles were ordinary men and so was Gideon like the disciples of Jesus Gideon had no experience in leadership or ministry, and there are going to be many, many that are become, that are going to be coming to God. They're, they have no experience. They have no prior resume. They have no prior status. They have no references. But they're ordinary. Understand, Gideon, he was he was just a farmer who tried to take care of his family, but God called him to lead Israel to bring about deliverance from the oppression of the enemy. Understand that Gideon lacked confidence, that he was discouraged, that he was afraid, and that he was unsure of himself and his calling and unsure of God's plan. I know there's somebody out there that identifies with that. Uh, I identify with it. And and understand that despite despite all of this, and like Gideon, Gideon's weakness and the insecurities, that he was transformed by God into a mighty warrior. That's a shout for somebody right there, that you've been transformed into a mighty warrior. Understand, I've been transformed into a mighty warrior. So I identify with this story. So we see that the, the church... 
The church needs people like Gideon today, our ordinary people who will surrender to God, that will put on the whole armor of God and withstand the attack of Satan in Ephesians 6. 10 and 18, understand that when God called Gideon, that here we see again that the Israelites commit a idolatry, and they forsake the Lord, that the Lord then gives them into the hand of the Midianites and the Amalekites. I know some of you understand that there's some ites that are in your life, too, that God needs to get rid of, that he needs to move out of your way. So who for seven years robbed the Israelites of their crops and their livestock? Understand, they rob you and they leave your land in provost and the people helpless, that they rob you of your finances, they rob you of your dignity, of your character, and of your self-esteem, causing you to be, uh, causing there to be a mental block with no confidence, with no assurance, with being insecure, low self-esteem, depressed, uh, feeling oppressed, a dark cloak over you because they just take and take and take and rendered you helpless. I'm just trying to balance this story so somebody out there can identify with what it is I'm saying. So the Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham who had lived as nomads in the desert region southeast east of Israel and that the father-in-law of Moses was a Midianite priest. And the Amalekites were descendants of Esau, who had been enemies of Israel from the time Israel came out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? That from the time they had been enemies to the time they came out of Egypt, that's a long time to be an enemy of somebody. But understand that Israel's suffering that under the Midianites is more severe than in the earlier cycles that we see, that now it's indicating things are growing worse. It's getting bad, that it's getting dark on them. Understand that in times, that, that in fact, that in these times, that it's so hard that the Israelites resort to hiding in the hills and caves as protection from the invading enemy, as we see in Judges Verse 2, it says, And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. The Midianites, they were descendants of the Midians. And so now we see that they made dens, that here, this is where the enemy, the enemy is, he's so crafty, and he does so many things that try to encamp us. And so the Midianites, they destroy all of the Israel's crops and the livestock and then encamp on their on the Israelite land in massive numbers like the locusts were number, that both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. There's some people that might come into your life to try to devastate your life, but understand what God is getting ready to do. The Midianites are not content to rule or, or to rob the Israelites. They are intent on rendering the land uninhabitable. For their Israelites, that means displacing them entirely, causing you to shut down, causing you to not even understand why you want to even exist any longer, to cause devastation to your whole atmosphere. But the intense suffering of the Israelites caused them to cry out to God for help. Do you hear what I'm saying? That the the 
suffering would only cause them to cry out to God and not bow down to the enemy, not give in, not give way to his tactics. That in the midst of the storm, that you still have a cry, that you still have a shout, that you still have something that's in your belly that says that I will survive, that I know where my help comes from. So the cries of Israel, they reach God's ears and send his angel to recruit a new leader who will save Israel from oppression. I believe this is getting ready to happen to our great nation. Understand that this new leader is Gideon, that we read only that the Lord raised up judges, that here we are told that God sent his angel to notify Gideon, to notify Gideon of his calling, that the angel of the Lord is what the theologians call theophany. It is a personal appearance of God, that the angel comes and sits under an oak tree on the property of Joash, the father of Gideon, that his appearance is such a casual thing. Understand that it's, it can be likened as a, a precaution that is intended to prevent Gideon from being afraid. So now that after all the Midianites have so terrified Gideon, you know, like after all your enemies have terrified you, that they have antagonized you so much, and then from from and and now they're trying to prevent you from being afraid, but they intended to prevent you from being afraid. But now, after all, they they terrified you all so much that Gideon, that he fearfully threshes his grain to his wine press so he'll not be discovered and robbed. So now, now we see that if it if it's not too quick to criticize Gideon for his fear, see some people criticize us when we want to run and tuck and hide and bury ourselves in depression and not turn on the lights so nobody'll know we're home. These are things that happen. We want to hide under the cover. We want to change our phone number. We want to relocate without letting anybody know where we're at. But understand, out of fear, this is what happens. So even through, even though he was afraid. He risked his life to provide for his family. Somebody knows the struggle, that you risk your life to provide for your family, that whatever it is by any means necessary, that you've got to provide for your family. You've got to protect your family. And sometimes we do things that are not that are not always that God would would agree upon, and probably not any other sanctified person would. But we do do some things that we we will suffer for for our family members. We'll will have that responsibility. But understand that here that even in his fear that this is what he does, he risked his life. And then while other people are running away and hiding in the caves, Gideon is Gideon is working to put food on the table. I know how that feels because I do that. I work hard to put food on the table. Understand that there's a social responsibility that becomes an aspect not of Christian mission only, but it also a Christian a conversion, that it is impossible to be converted to God without being thereby converted to our neighbor. So being unaware 
and being unaware of God's concern, that we understand that the angel appeared to him. So now they are at the wine press. The angel of the Lord, if I tell this story, that confronts Gideon with a surprising declaration. And so the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, in verse 12. And the angel's words, they were surprising for two reasons. That first, Gideon was no pre- had no previous experience as a warrior or as a leader, that he is only a farmer and not a valiant one, understanding, not even a good one. So now second, Gideon doubts the Lord is with Israel at this point in time. He doubts that God is with Israel. He doubts everything about who God said he is. And so now he asks that if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? In verse 13, and Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. My God. He reminds now he he reminds the angel that although the Lord delivered delivered Israel from Egypt, how just uh, how how now he he's now forsaken them and then turned them over to the Midianites. So in the midst of oppression and of the widespread suffering, getting and asked where where are your miracles, Lord? Uh, where where are you at now? Where's everything that you told us about? Where are you at now? So. Gideon's response to the angel, it reveals that he unjustly blames God for his people's distressing circumstances. And when it is Israel who had forsaken God. So now, here we learn later that Gideon's father owns an altar dedicated to the worship of Baal. Oh, understand this, that that if you don't do your part, don't blame God. You know how some people do, they complain, because Gideon's complaint is he's blaming God because he didn't do his part. We don't take ownership and responsibility for us not doing our part, our work that we need to. But now we understand that his daddy had an altar that was set up to worship Baal. And so the word of God says in verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianite. Have not I sent thee? So the Lord turns to face Gideon. And he says, go in the strength, go go, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. And I, am I not sending you? It, it's kind of rhetorical. But now the Lord's command to Gideon suggests three things that are now Gideon that he first, instead of complaining about what we lack, that we got to take courage and utilize the strength that God has given us. And then the Lord, he declares that Gideon will save that he will save Israel. So now it means that, that the call of God is always larger than ourselves. And then Gideon encounters his encounter with God. It's not for him alone, but for the benefit of the entire community. But understand that thirdly, the success of our endeavors, it rests on God's sending us. 
that we, we might be weak and we might have flaws, but if God has sent us, that he will prepare us to do the work. Somebody is encouraged right there to understand that, that if God is sending you, he will prepare you for your endeavor, that even when you are weak, that he will give you enough strength, that even when you are flawed, that God will send you because he'll prepare you for the battle. He'll prepare you, prepare you for the work. He'll prepare you for the success without a resume, without a reference. But now Gideon, he he had not convinced yet. Understand this. How can I save Israel was what he asked in verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor to Manasseh, in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family's house. So now Gideon sees nothing about himself his family, or his tribe of Manasseh that would qualify him to be a deliverer. But he says, but here we see nevertheless that God has chosen Gideon and he promises to be with him. So we've got to look at what the solution is and and how Gideon begins to to describe his excuses. And in his excuses, well, look, I I don't know how to do this. I've never walked in those shoes before that I'm less than, that I'm no deliverer, that why would you choose me? I'm nobody. But understand, being terrified in God's presence, in verse 16, we're going to tell you what he says. He says that, and the Lord said unto him, surely I'll be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So the Lord promised to be with, with, quote, and end quote, with Gideon should not be taken lightly. Understand, don't take it lightly when God says he's going to be with you. Don't take it lightly. Don't play God's sheep. That with those same words, this is when God called Moses to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt in Exodus 3 and 12, and that the presence is the powerful assurance that the mission is what's going to be accomplished. But here, it adds, the Lord adds, another word of encouragement, and he says to Gideon, you shall defeat the Midian as one man in Judges 6 and 16. So now the promise indicated that Gideon shouldn't think of of the Midianites in terms of an army, that he understand that, that, that I get that. Don't think of them as so large that you can't handle them, that they're so big and powerful and mega that you can't shake a stick to them. God will cause them to look like ants, and he will cause you to deliver a word, to deliver a nation, to restore and touch just one that will now trickle and duplicate the effect and be multiplied in what God needs done in the atmosphere. That here that he says he should not dwell on their great number. Instead, he should expect the entire army to fall like a single individual. That God is not a deceiver. He He's not a deceiver. Hear what I'm saying. That he should not... He, He offers the support to us, and then when we lean upon him, here's where we slip away, where might slip away from us. But here, God is not a deceiver that he should offer to support us, and then when we lean upon him, should slip away from us. He's with us. He is there. We understand that we get fearful and we want to turn away from 
and when we go into to chapter 7 and we move into verse 27, we identify with things. And when we begin to move into 727, it always takes us back to now six, chapter 6, verses 25 through 26 and 27. So in short, in 27, it says, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, as did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. After Gideon was reassuring, understand, he had to reassure, he had to get his folks together. So now God reassures Gideon of divine favor through a supernatural sign. So now Gideon built an altar to the Lord. Ah, come on here. He built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace, that night. The Lord commanded him to tear down his father's altar that was used in Baal worship and cut down the grove beside the altar. Come on, you got to tear some things down that were generational curses. You got to disconnect and shake some things and some people that have been in your past. Cut it off. Tear it down. Move away from it. Get away from it. Understand the word grove, it refers to an idolatrous pole that was dedicated to the worship of Asherah, also called Asheroth, which was the wife of Baal. So here Gideon was also instructed to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord and offer a sacrifice to the Lord using the wood from the Asherah pole as fuel for the fire. Mm-mm-mm. My God, fuel for the fire, my God, that Gideon does all the Lord commands him. But however, despite all of the encouraging words from the Lord, Gideon is not confident enough to fulfill the assignment in the daytime. So instead he goes out at night because he fears his father. He feels he fears his his father's house and the men of the city. That here Gideon's destruction of the altar of Baal is significant for various reasons. So here in the big picture of things, his act is an important step toward obeying the Lord's earlier commands to tear down all the idolatrous altars of the Canaanites in Exodus thirty four and thirteen and Deuteronomy 7 and 5 and 12 and 3 and Judges 2 and 2. And so sadly, by building the altar to Baal, the elders of Israel had failed to live exemplary lives in front of the younger generation. And it's still happening today because still today children pay closer attention to our actions than to our words. They respond to what we do and not to what we so we've got to bring about a change. We've got to re-implement a different structure. So on the personal level, here's where Gideon's obedience is performing the task. It's the first step of his transformation into a leader. And his faithfulness is is this relatively small matter that indicates that he can, he can be entrusted with larger assignments. In the future, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with the very little can also be trusted with much in Luke 16 and 10. And then we see that Gideon does his, his deeds. Gideon's deeds, thr- deeds thr- 
what I'm saying, that whereas he was once unimportant and an unrecognized son, as Joash, I know somebody identifies with that, that for where did nobody see you or understand who you were or even know your name, he now becomes a well-known figure in the community, and that now his new his new stature ensures that he'll be taken seriously when he assumes his calling as the Lord's chosen deliverer. So we know it's got to be good to remind ourselves that the will of God comes from the heart of God, that will that we need not to be afraid. Don't be afraid of God moving you to the next level. Don't be afraid of God showing you a whole new direction. Don't be afraid of God giving you what you need to just overcome the obstacles, to overcome those things in life that would also cause you so much stress and just so much fear and and trembling and not understanding why, not giving God the the due diligence that he needs, not trusting him. Do you understand what I'm saying now? That God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so I want to encourage somebody right now that if you understand who God is and if you know who he is for sure, that he's got a spirit that begins to empower. And so in verse in verse 33, it says that then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sat, he sent messengers throughout all Manasaw, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtal, and they came up to meet him. Gideon, who he was, Gideon and his community, they have little time to reflect on the events of the previous night because the enemy is was close at can that the Midianites assumed their army, they crossed the Jordan Jordan River and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Midian, Gideon, and he sounds the trumpet. And the English translation came upon. It doesn't fully capture the meaning of the original Hebrew text, which says the Spirit clothed Gideon. I get excited when I get to talking about the Spirit of the Lord, when I start talking about God moving upon someone. When God starts moving upon you, great things begin to happen. The imagery of clothing becomes significant. The basic function of clothing is to conceal, as we see in Genesis 3 and 21. It's to protect. And hey, God, wants and six and to adorn in second Samuel one and twenty four and and it categorizes the the wearer within a social situation as we see in genesis thirty eight and nineteen so the spirit of the Lord as the clothing of Gideon it protects him, it empowers him, and identifies him as the Lord's chosen chosen judge who will lead the Israelites to deliverance. That the effect of the Spirit's clothing is the obvious and it's immediate. It is expedient that before the Spirit clothes him, Gideon works only under the cover. 
cover of darkness. How many can identify that? How many understand that you're working in darkness until God covers you? But after the Spirit comes upon him, he becomes a public leader who emerges into the light of day. And before the Spirit strengthens Gideon, he stands by in the silence while his father defends his actions. But after the Spirit comes upon him, Gideon speaks up for himself. And then the Spirit empowers Gideon to sound, to sound the trumpet, to blow the shofar. And that in the biblical times, understand that the trumpet, that was the alarm, that was the signal. It was an imminent threat that called to assemble, called the armies to assemble. Hear me, that in Gideon's case, the army is gathered from his own family in Abiezer, in his own tribe in Manasseh, and from the neighboring tribes of Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. Do you understand what I'm saying from his own land, from his own they begin to assemble in his own neighborhood. Do you hear me? In his own neighborhood. How many can go back to their own neighborhood and go back and assemble the troops to go win lost souls for Christ so they can be saved, that you can be on the battlefield for the Lord waving no flags for nobody but Jesus Christ, understanding being prepared for when he comes. This is what's taking place here. Understand, this is what happens that many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources. And when we, when we attempt very little and then sometimes we fail, all giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and his presence to be with him. Hear what I'm saying, that all the great men were weaklings, all the great mega leader pastors were nothing, but they did what God had for them, and God made them strong. The Spirit of the Lord covered them. So they became successful because now there would be a separation of soldiers, as we see in in, uh, Judges 7, 1 through 9. When we see in Scripture, uh, Judges 7, 1 through 9, we see that Gideon, here in the Word, that, that Gideon... The forces were assembled at the foot of Mount Gilboa. The Midianites were encamped about five miles north, northwest that was across the valley of Jezreel by the hill of Moray. So if we go by Mount Gilead, which is not so much well-known and wasn't as Mount Gilead, which was located east of the Jordan River, here was where Gideon's strange mobilization of strategy Here's where it had both scriptural precedence and then practical principle. So now we always say that you've got to have a concept, a principle, and an application. But now here it's practical principle. Fear of some, that's what infects the rest. So if one fears, then it infects the rest of the people. Understand that practical wisdom, you've got to be alert when it comes to battle and the conditions that are around you, that you've got to understand what may take precedence over the gratification of your personal need. What your personal need is may not be what's best for the whole team. So understand in the selection of the 300 of men who had lapped the water, you know, the ones that got down and lapped the water, they also were eliminated. He eliminated those who were still fearful, who still didn't believe, who still didn't understand, who still didn't get it, who still could 
comply with their freedom to now praise and worship God, but to now win the battle. Now, here we see, because see in verse 1, here's where Gideon is called Jerubbabel, and here, which means the enemy of Baal. So this had become the honorary name after he tore down the altar at Baal at Oprah in 632. So now Gideon and his army and the two, the 32,000 men that camped beside the spring of Herod in so here we see it, that's in 7-1. So now, which in the Hebrew means fearful spring. And Gideon had been quite successful in his effort to build the army, and the Lord knew the Israelites would claim victory through their own strength. But therefore, he knew the Israelites would claim victory. He knew that. But in order in order for the Lord to, rest, to receive the credit for the victory, he decided to reduce Gideon's army. How many times has God got to reduce you? in order for him to get the victory. How many times has God got to remove some things so you keep your eyes on him, that you stay focused at the table on him, that now what happens is that he decided to reduce his army, the army of 32,000 to a small, small, minial piece, that at the fearful spring the Lord now gives instruction for any who are afraid and trembling. you got to go home is what, what really t- place, that you need to go home, that you need to just go ahead and get your little stuff and go home, because right now, here's where I need you. I need you to believe in me, that here, it's also at the fearful spring, that now the Lord tests Gideon's army, and the second time, he chooses only 300 who lap the water like dogs, and then the second, he includes a play on words that recalls the memory of one of Israel's bravest warriors, but now the Hebrew word for, for the word dog is the same as the name Caleb. And so now when the Lord says that he'll use those who lap the water as a dog, he might understand it to stay like Caleb. My God. So I, I guess I'm going to be like Caleb. And I know i got some other people out there that are like Caleb for the simple fact that you're not too scared to bend down and be in the spring where it says a fearful spring, but you're not afraid to go to the front line. And so now call me Caleb because I'm not afraid. Oh, somebody come get me because I'm not afraid to be on the front line. And I know i got a team of folks with me that are not afraid to be on the front line. And if you are, it's time to go home. So now let's be like Caleb and be on the front line and understand what God needs So here, why might the Lord allude to Caleb? It's because out of all their generation, only Caleb and Joshua had the courage to enter the promised land. That Caleb, I'm preaching now, I'm not trying to teach this thing, that Caleb was a man with another spirit in Numbers 14 and 24, and now wholly followed the Lord in Deuteronomy 1 and 36. He scoffed at the giants of Canaan and said, give me this mountain in Joshua 14 and 12. Caleb's nephew, Othniel, was a mighty warrior and was the first of the judges in Judges 3 and 9. But then finally, Jael, hear me now, who killed the Canaanite, he killed the Canaanite, he killed the Canaanite general in Caesarea, was a relative of Caleb. So now Israel needs more men of faith like Caleb. So now the Lord promises to save Israel through 300 men who are like Caleb, like a dog. But understand, we got, got we got grace, we got understanding, we get it. We understand, laugh like the dog. So you tell me, when a dog laps its water, that its tongue is not forward. It looks like it's forward, but the water literally is in the back of the tongue. So now it's 
love generates through the gums, through the bottom level, is where your thirst is quenched, not in your throat. Come on, somebody. So now there is no fear because you're drinking from the water. Understand, just reference the water like the will. It's no longer the fearful spring. It is the water, the water of the Lord, the promise of going into the promised land that we shall be greater. So here, so here we get it. We understand about the evidence of God being the guide, of having the promises that cover us in unimaginable situations. And in this situation, it was unimaginable. If they, these men could not fathom it, that if you could not bend down and drink the water, you had to go home because it showed you had no strength. It showed that you could not bow down and trust God enough to lead you forward, to cover you with his presence, to take his hand as he stretched it out to you. Understand the triumph. We've got Gideon who triumphed. Gideon, the, the victory was already foretold in the dream. In the Bible, the Bible, the Bible says in Judges in Judges 7, in verse 13, come on here, I got to slow myself down. I get excited when I talk, woo, when I think about the victories of God, that the promised land that he keeps, that the miracles and the signs and wonders that are getting ready to happen, that have already happened in the heavenlies, that are going to touch down and manifest here, that in the supernatural realms that people are being healed and delivered and set free, that are being snatched out of the darkness because the power and the of God is come. So now, and when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and told it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. 14 says, And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing. This is nothing else, save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Gideon and his 300 men camp for the night. And the Lord instructs Gideon to go down to the camp of the Midianites, where a surprise had been prepared for him. The Lord says, listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Gideon sneaks into the enemy's camp and overhears a Midianite soldier that recounts a dream that symbolized the Midianites' defeat at the hand of Gideon. And so when Gideon hears the account of the dream and it, it, its interpretation, he bows in worship. Then he returns the camp of Israel and says to his men, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hand. Gideon worshipful's response and confident declaration to his troop. It indicates that he is finally convinced of the Lord's promise. Hear what I'm saying. God will give you a word in your ear gates. He'll let you overhear something. He'll let you hear something that might that might ring a bell, that might be on TV, might be on the radio, might be in a passing conversation, but it might be a confirmation. It might be, ah, that was the word, that was the key that God needed for me to overcome this issue, to overcome this addiction, to overcome this affliction, to overcome anything that's going on in your life that is hindering you from moving forward, that will overcome your depression, that will overcome the strife, that will overcome the antagonizing of the enemy, 
that will overcome, that will cause you to overcome and give you the victory over the generational curses that have plagued you, the depression, the mental illness. Hear what I'm saying. Because it is the Lord who directs Gideon to slip into the the camp of the Midian. It it suggests that the Lord is the source of this prophetic dream. But ironically, although Gideon didn't believe the declarations of the angel of Yahweh, he questioned the voice of God himself and then asked for multiple signs of confirmation by God. And then he finally believes the voice of the Lord speaking through an enemy soldier. Listen to your Judas Because they talk all the time. Uh, they talk all the time. No, you don't have psychoses. Your enemy is always talking. And because they like to talk and because they like to gossip, understand that they'll always give you a heads up on the plan, that they'll talk so much that your business becomes their business, and that they talk so much, that they divulge so much, that they reveal so much, that they know so much, that all you need to do is listen. You don't need to respond. That was free for somebody. But understand that with that with the power of God within us, here's where we need to never fear the powers around us. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. There are powers of this world that render us render us hopeless at times because we listen too hard. We get psychotic. And when we get psychotic, we make mistakes. When we get psychotic, we become fearful and we miss the word of God, that we don't trust God. We miss we miss what God said because we're stuck in psychosis, listening to what the enemy has devised, listening to the devices of men, listening to the voices that really don't exist. They come on here, somebody gotta somebody, somebody gotta understand. I'm trying to help you get out of your head. I'm trying to help you get out of what the powers of the world would be and understand and listen to the power of God bring a revelation to you through your enemy. The enemy always warns you. You just need to listen enough and not complain. Now, miracles are achieved. That's how victories are won. Victories are won through miracles. Miracles are achieved because God gives us a victory in advance. It's already prophesied. It's already promised to you. And he divided 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and laughed within the pitchers, and the three companies blew the trumpets and and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hand, hands to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord of Gideon, and they stood every man in his place around about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. Immediately, oh, my God, Glory to God. Gideon rallies his army and prepares for battle. And God gives Gideon the unusual strategy. And Gideon, Gideon's forces assembled out of the Midianites. They're divided into three companies of, of 100 each. Gideon puts pitchers into the hands of them and the torches inside the pitchers. And now in unison, the 300 men 
sound their trumpets and break, break the pitches which reveal the hidden torches along with the sound of the trumpets. They shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The Midianites are suddenly awakened from their deep sleep by the sound of the trumpets and the shouting. Come on here. How many times have God given you a silent attack? When, the, when they took out into the darkness, the three, the, thus they see the torches that are surrounding the camp. The Lord causes them to be confused, that they begin to kill each other. Oh, my God. Come on now. The enemy couldn't recognize, could not recognize themselves. They begin to turn on themselves. How many times has the enemy talked so much that all of a sudden they start turning on themselves because one knows more than the other knew and one got more information than the other one knew, but understanding that all the while they're talking about their own neighborhood and their own community and they're killing themselves off. We've got to stop. That fear, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They killed each other. Gideon then calls for reinforcements. And he and his army pursue the Midianites and drive them back across the Jordan River. Called Gideon. Now, when we, in conclusion, so you just understand, so I don't get ahead of myself, because my time is running a little short, that God called Gideon to save Israel from the Midianites. But Gideon didn't feel qualified for the Gideon's calling, it brings to mind the the, uh, the admonition of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, that for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen, chosen the foolish things of the world to put to the shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base in the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing, and the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. In 1 Corinthians 26 through 29. Understand, the angel of the Lord said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of God. That when the Lord called Gideon a valiant warrior, and so are you. This was not based on anything the farmer had already done, but on what God planned to do through him. And then he revealed to Abraham centuries earlier that God gives light to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. In Romans 4 and 17, that God has the power and authority to shape and reshape us into whatever he wants us to become. So understand that our responsibility is to respond to his voice that is in faith and obedience. Remember Rahab's courage. Remember the shepherd boy's anointing, a slave's witness, sudden evangelist like in Mark 5, 15, and 20. Be a boy's obedience and then be a prophet. Once a and for Laman 10 and 17, 10 through 17. So understand what God is saying, that he can do it. Just trust him and identify with him. And I identify with so many things. And I know that there's 
somebody out there, there's somebody out there that might not be saved, that is trying, that is struggling, struggling with so many different things in life. And it's okay to struggle with things in life. And so as you're struggling with things in life, and you and you know you you know you've had a tug that's been on you, but you've ran. But now's the time to come. You don't have to get fixed. That God can call you. And when you call, when you come, just accept what He has for you. Move in that vein. Move forward into what God has for you. There's somebody who's not saved. There's somebody who is backslidden. Understand that God can still use you without a good rapport, without finances. I received that for myself, that without references, without a resume, without having done it ever before, that God will put the words in your mouth, that he will give you something down in your belly. It will be a sense of urgency, as if a woman who is in labor that is dilated to 10 that needs to push, she feels a sudden urgency to push. You feel the certain urgency to come to Jesus. You feel the urgency that the time is now. You feel the urgency that something is going something's got to change, that there's got to be a difference, that there's got to be something more that I understand that this atmosphere is not conducive for me. But I know that when I go to what God wants me to go to and I do what he wants me to do, although I might not believe all that they say he is, but when I get to know him for myself, I will have faith. Even though I'm with fear and trembling, I'll be a Caleb. Lord, I'll be your Caleb. Lord, I'll be like as a dog, and I'll lap the water so I can be saturated, so I can be nourished of the word that you're going to give me. So my life will change it as my life is changing, that I'll be transformed into something great, into a son or daughter of Zion, that I'll be used by you, that you will magnify, that you will, that you will manifest your glory in my life, that I may not believe it now, but I hear all the preachers talking about it. I hear what it is that they're saying. I don't believe it, but I'm going to take the step of faith, and I'm going to move on it. I'm going to act on it. So now I'm listening to my enemies, and I'm not going to be afraid because they're really telling the story for me. They're really telling me what's getting ready to happen next. I just need to listen with the right type of ear because my spiritual ear gates are on, and with them being on and as the Holy Spirit being my guide, I'm going to hear it in the wind. And because I'm going to hear it in the wind, the devil already sets himself up. Your enemy has already set up their own camp. So their dialogue is not really against you. They're just talking about what it is God's getting ready to do for you. You just got to listen to it real good. And so if you're not saved, understand what God can do. He says in Romans 3 and 10 that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And in Romans 3.23, that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is a penalty for sin. Then in Romans 5 and 12, that whereby as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all in. And in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He made a provision, men and women, that in Romans 5 and 8, that but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He gave us an opportunity to receive him. And his word does not return void, 
that in Romans 10 and 9, oh, he said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And Romans 10 and 10, it says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10 and 13. This is the key, right? This is the key. This is what you hear also often. But do really, people really believe? Do they really believe? Do they really understand? Do they really identify with what this really means? This, what this whole story of Gideon was really about? Do you understand for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, in Romans 10 and 13, if you don't believe anything else. For whosoever, you are part of whosoever, whatever, whatever, who, what, who, what, what, who, whosoever. It doesn't give a name, it doesn't give a race, a color, or a creed. It says, or a lifestyle, it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because once you get saved, a transformation begins to happen, and you will transform. You will change, because you're developing a relationship with the Son. You're coming to the Son. You're coming through the Son to get to the Father. But he says that I and he is one. When you've seen him, you've seen me. So you see the vine dresser, that he begins to dress you. He begins to change you. And then he lets us know that how then shall they call upon him and who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, you're heard on this evening, and I'm not scared to tell you that this is what God wants. This is what he needs. He needs for the preachers to open their mouths and proclaim it. Oh, God, so you can come to Jesus, so you can understand his love, so you can understand his unconditional love that you can come and be saved. And if that is you, here is the sinner's prayer, that, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin before you now. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. Save me now, Lord Jesus. If that you, if you said it with me or you repeat it, say it in your Welcome to the family of God. We welcome you. We love on you. And here at BWE, we welcome you to all that God has to offer, all that we have to offer. And we support you in your newfound home. We support you in your new Christian walk. We support you with unconditional love. This has been Dr. Danette Verche of the Black Women Empowered Incorporated ministerial staff and team here on Blog Talk Radio on this Bible study night. We thank you, Jacqueline Renee King, for letting, giving us this opportunity to share the word of God with the nation. In Jesus' name, I bless God, I bless you, and he's bringing more to us. In Jesus' name, have your way, Lord. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in all we do. Good evening. Good night.